Welcome to Neighborly. An ounce of vehemence. House number 27A and 27B. Little Street. A duplex can be many things. It can be a double-stranded polynucleotide molecule. It can be a flat surface with two completely different coloured sides. It can be two townhouses stuck together in order to house two different people. In this case, listeners, it is all of the above. But we will mainly focus on the house itself and the residence it holds. That is what you're here for, after all. Two households, both alike in dignity, on fair little street where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. On opposite sides of two thin drywall, two individual civil hands each slam down on two individual blaring alarms. One blindly fumbles for the rectangular button on a decade-old clock radio the beep, beep, beep drilling into his skull and shaking him roughly out of a dreamless sleep. The other pulls a silk eye mask off lazily, some acoustic folk drifting through his room as his phone screen displays his peaceful wake-up call. Both figures, unbeknownst to each other, lift themselves up on their forearms and squint into the morning sunlight filtering through their windows. Another day is dawning. Wesley Fryer, on the left side of the duplex, pads over to a well-kept dresser and opens the third drawer down. A sweater is pulled over his shoulders, the chunky knit comforting him in the frigid tundra that is his room. Once he has a moment to defrost, although he would not have the temperature any other way, certainly, he runs through his routine. Smooth the sheets, arrange the duvet, fluff the pillows, fold pajamas, open blinds, and, of course, run a comb through his fluffy dark hair. Everything in its place. Once his tasks upon awakening are finished to his liking, he slides his feet into a pair of house slippers and strides into the kitchen, where his coffee pot has filled the air with the scent of dark, bitter roast. It's set to start brewing as soon as he wakes up, just as it should be. And of course, it wouldn't be a perfect morning without the ambiance being ruined by the blaring of some sort of crunchy, munchy, granola, hippie folk acoustic music coming from the other side of the wall. As Wesley groans, pulling up the news on his tablet as he settles in on the couch, an untrained but joyful voice starts singing along with the song that plays over his laptop speakers. Where house number 27 stands, there is a clear divide. A townhouse that is split entirely in two completely different halves. The right, 27A, is painted colorfully with bright yellows and pinks and a robin's egg blue door covered in various swirling designs. Its resident, Caden Alexander, is an artist. His outfits are eye-catching to say the least, and his hands always seem to be stained with various hues of paint. His living space is covered tip to toe in expressionistic canvases that reflect the sun's light in different ways and brighten up any rainy day. Dreams are Caden's artistic inspiration, and as he wakes each morning from a new one, he sets to spending the next hours depicting it in oil. 
He turns off his waking up playlist and hits shuffle on another one entitled Lo-Fi Tunes to Leap and Yell to. Then he gets to work, setting out a metal mug that he stole from the diner in town, and filling it with a half-empty water bottle that had been left on his counter from four to five business days ago. He didn't even remember putting it there, but he might as well give it some use. He continues to sing, although it turns into a mutter under his breath as he concentrates on finding a hue that would evoke the smell of freshly made blueberry pancakes on a Sunday morning. Caden's life is complex but relaxing, a perfect blend of bright colours and gentle drifting music. He looks for something new in each day, something to break up the monotony of what could be his day-to-day life if he chose to simply let it run its course. He eats new foods or goes out for a walk down the street if he is so inclined just to get some different inspiration. Visiting his neighbours isn't often what he spends his time doing, but if that's the only thing that would shake up Caden's week, he'd do it. His mind is a whirl, and the sounds around him as he makes his way through his cosy abode pass through his ears and create a rhythm in his movements. Today Caden woke up with a vivid image clear in his mind of a sunny kitchen scene complete with green cupboards in a window box full of wildflowers, and through the window, clouds drifting easily across a bright blue sky. He can still see it as he starts painting a base over some scrapped canvases and puts his pigments on a palette. As he paints, he can almost feel the wind that sweeps through the quick strokes of his brush. He closes his eyes every so often, getting back into the scene and making sure everything is correct before lifting his brush again. Despite finding enjoyment in interacting with others, or even with the nature and environment outside the walls of his home, Caden greatly enjoys his alone time. Being alone with his thoughts and the ambience of a comfortable space is refreshing, and he finds it incredibly rude when that piece is interrupted by his doorbell's incessant ringing. Why is it ringing? Caden doesn't know. He has a sign hanging over the window for this reason, a polite request for his neighbours to leave his door unknocked and his doorbell unrung. With a great sigh, Caden arises from his seat in front of the easel and makes his way to the door. He plans what to say before opening it, verbally reiterating what should be clear to anyone passing by. But as he attempts to open it, he finds that his door is stuck. He tries it again, but meets the same resistance. That's odd. Caden has never had issues with getting his door stuck before. Maybe he just has to work at it. Next door, the resident of 27B snickers to himself as he watches the door shake, a long rope tied from the knob to the tree in front of the duplex. He soon sees an irritated pair of eyes peek through the canvases over the windows, eventually landing on him. He waves happily, returning to his own dwelling with a large grin on his face. 27B juxtaposes 27A in all but structure. Its simple blue shutters and dark bricks surround a plain white door that stands just behind a rectangular brown welcome mat. There is a wooden chair folded against the outer wall, and the local morning paper thrown haphazardly in front, awaiting 27B's resident to come out and pick it up. Said resident does so, making his way in and throwing the paper in the basket beside his feet. Don't they know that everything has gone digital these days? Resley Fryer is a simpler man. His home is minimalist and clean, with a perfect combination of white, brown, blue, and black furnishings. The sun that comes through his own windows drifts through translucent white curtains and ruffles his meticulously combed hair as he continues to scroll through today's biggest news stories from all over the world. 
He considers himself practical in that way, using his time efficiently and responsibly, taking every moment to better himself so that he may continue his life's work without incident. Well, almost every moment. It doesn't take long for him to hear a knock at his door, and he smiles a little before getting up and walking over. To his surprise, it stands slightly ajar. He peeks out and sees Caden in the yard, with a brightly coloured water balloon in hand and clear intent on his face. Wesley smirks and opens the door, fully prepared to dodge what the other man throws. What he does not expect, as he really should have, is a large bucket of water planting itself upside down on top of his head, soaking him from head to toe. A moment later, something hits his chest and explodes, covering him in more water. He slowly lifts the bucket up to see Caden mimicking his wave, a smug grin pastured across his own face. Wesley watches the other man return to his own home, snickering to himself. As the door shuts, he begins to plan his next attack. You see, Wesley and Caden had been locked in a conflict for years, a prank war with no winner. One would think that at least one of the two would have moved out, but one would be wrong. Because without the constant threat of a bucket of water dropped on your head, what's the point? Both of them crave the unexpected, and the other usually provides. Each time the war gets stale, it always starts back up again unexpectedly, as soon as one or the other gets particularly bored. They do try to keep score, Wesley more so than Caden, but really, neither of them has an accurate number. The pranks have gone on far longer than either of them is aware of. Wesley is up next, however, to get payback for Caden's water stunt. The idea comes to him while attempting to bake something edible. He fails, as per usual. However, he does see a roll of clear cling wrap poking out of his kitchen cupboards. It occurs to Wesley that he'd taken note of Caden's height a couple of years ago in order to carry out quite a clever prank using a ladder and some peanut butter. But enough of this. Wesley has an idea. There's no time to lose. Caden is in the middle of putting away his painting supplies, thoroughly pleased with himself. Wesley is a hard man to prank. He always seems to know exactly what Caden is going to try next. So, Caden has to stay one step ahead. He plans to sneak out, go next door, and peek in through the windows to see whatever dastardly scheme Wesley is cooking up. Caden knows he has to be ready for whatever Wesley has in store for him. He always comes up with something simple but clever, something Caden would never see coming. This time, he vows it will be different. Famous last words is what they say, in reply to an overconfident assertion that may well be proved wrong by events, according to Oxford Dictionary. And proved wrong by events, Caden was, as he makes to leave his home and walks right into the barrier of cling wrap that has been securely fastened across his door at his exact eye level. Caden stumbles back, squinting at the cling wrap for a moment, as if he doesn't quite see it yet. And then he does. He curses at Wesley, who he knows is peeking outside of his door to watch Caden's foolishness, and tears down the wrap, stomping outside in a rage. The neighbours are used to the shouting, at least the two of them think so, and today is one of those lovely days where their loud quarrel echoes across the neighbourhood. But who can point fingers, really? Certainly shouting is not as strange as the woman who stands out in front of their shared home this very day, staring across the street at nothing. And certainly even that is not as strange as some of the other happenings on Little Street. No, a yelling match is fairly normal, especially for the residents of House 27A and B. 
and so they complete their red-faced dispute, returning to their homes with the cogs and gears and their little minds rotating. Caden gets out his paints again. He can't seem to keep them put away for very long. No matter how hard he tries to clean up his area, the brushes and tubes of pigment and cups of water are always scattered about. And frankly, it truly is just how Caden likes it. He's considered painting Wesley's side of the duplex in bright colours to match his own half, but there is an unspoken rule that the two have been following for all of these years. Nothing permanent. Nothing that is hard to reverse, and nothing that causes the other genuine harm. It's just a common courtesy. And in a prank war, there has to be a line drawn not just down the middle. And so, Caden resigns himself to his blank canvas, wondering what use it could be to him. Meanwhile, Wesley once again revels in his victory, feeling quite superior. He of course enjoys seeing Caden attempt to decipher what his next plans are, but he also knows it's not his turn yet. He must wait patiently and see what sort of plan Caden has for his next prank before plotting something new. He tries to run over many options in his mind, but with infinite possibilities in an infinite universe, how is one man meant to prepare for all possible scenarios? He cannot, and so he chooses a few likely ones and makes his preparations. This is the structure of a perfect life, truly. There is order, and there is excitement but just enough to be typical. Some would do a crossword, take up solitaire, indulge in Sudoku. Wesley has a more thrilling brain teaser, and one with a delightfully inconsistent variable. He would never admit his delight, of course, but Wesley finds himself pondering Caden far more often than the man he thinks himself to be probably would. It takes him longer than he expects. Usually, Caden attempts to take his revenge a day or two later, but this time... It takes nearly a week for Wesley to be woken up from an afternoon nap by an insistent hammering at his door. Wesley opens the door and immediately looks down. A plank of wood has been securely nailed right at the base of his door, clearly set to trip him, of course. Wesley laughs to himself, stepping over the plank in order to go over to 27A and tell Caden that he can have a free go at him. It seems, dear listeners, that Wesley often underestimates his creative counterpart. Because nearly the moment after he steps over the barred threshold, he runs into something solid. It takes him a long moment to realize what it is, because the painting is so elaborate and detailed that he honestly had to touch it to see that it wasn't just the real world in front of him. He takes a long moment to trace his fingers over the paint down along the street in front of their duplex, and over the woman that appears to still be standing in front of the house. When Wesley finally tears his eyes away from the canvas to peer around it, he sees the exact scene before him. Got you. He turns to Caden, who looks as smug as ever. Wesley realizes his mouth is hanging open. He looks the other over, flicking his gaze to the painting and back a couple times. You painted that? he finally manages to say, his tone seemingly catching Caden off guard. Awkwardly, Caden answers, yes, he did, and before he can stop himself, Wesley begins to stumble over an attempted compliment. He examines the piece again and again, and doesn't quite notice the small flush creeping over Caden's cheeks. Good game, Wesley finally manages. I'll see you tomorrow. 
and with that promise, he moves to step back into his house, and falls flat on his face as he trips over the plank of wood. Caden laughs the entire time that Wesley picks himself up and shuts his door angrily, and continues to grin as he picks up his painting and leans it against the outside wall. It should be fine outside. The porch is covered in an awning, and it doesn't usually rain too much around here anyway. Caden rides on his victory for the next few days, laughing to himself every so often when he remembers the look on Wesley's face. The surprise and awe sticks with him as well, though. Wesley seemed genuinely impressed. He realizes that he doesn't often show Wesley what he paints. He hasn't had much reason to. He realizes, though, on the third or fourth day, that he hasn't heard anything from Wesley in that time. It's not entirely unusual, but it's enough to get Caden wondering what could be keeping him. Wesley, unbeknownst to his neighbor, is marching down Little Street to house number 30. In the large and spacious driveway, there seems to be a bit of a commotion. A man that Wesley recognizes as one Captain Aloysius is in deep conversation with a rather high-strung individual, a fidgety young man, and a person in a trench coat that towers over the others, casting a long shadow over the mall in the afternoon sun. As he walks up to the front door, he hears something of broken projectors and looming citations, but he has far too much in his mind at the moment to be meddling in any more external affairs. Wesley is a man on a mission, one that only the Homeowners Association can solve. This fun little game has gone on long enough. A rivalry is one thing, but Caden had crossed a line. So he will be dealt with, as all problems of that caliber should be, with due process. He enters house number 30, surely, and he exits a matter of time later. What happened inside is not as important as the results that interaction managed to garner. In his hand, paper clipped neatly together, are the components of a proper cease and desist. The terms are simple. Caden will end this strife, or his lease will be terminated. Caden is getting quite impatient. It's been nearly an entire week, and he hasn't heard even a whisper coming from 27B. He knows the rules, but they aren't written down or anything of that nature. He can afford to bend them just a little bit, he supposes, and so he gets to work in his kitchen. He used to cook with his mother when he was young, and still enjoys doing it now. He's got quite a knack for it, and vaguely remembers bringing Wesley something when he'd first moved in. Or had Wesley moved in after him? It was so long ago, he barely remembers now. And it seems as though he and Wesley have been living and locked in this conflict together since the moment he'd arrived. He's never questioned it or really minded it, and he knows, or at least he hopes, that Wesley holds the same stance. A long couple of moments pass where Caden considers making Wesley something genuine, something that doesn't have any intention of being a prank, and instead is just a nice gift for a neighbor or a friend. Would Caden consider Wesley his friend? At this point, having known someone for this long, he'd normally say yes without hesitation. But Wesley is different. He always has been. And alternatively, would Wesley consider Caden his friend? It's especially hard to say as Caden realizes he doesn't really know much about Wesley beyond his responses to their comedic interactions. He knows that Wesley enjoys reading. He wears sweaters and apparently likes art. He's a terrible cook as far as Caden can tell, and beyond that, 
well, he's not sure. Some part of him wants to find out what it'd be like to talk to Wesley properly, maybe over a coffee. But that would ruin their perfect balance, Caden convinces himself, and so he continues his efforts. He arrives on Wesley's doorstep a little while later, holding a decorative plate with what looks to be caramel apples placed neatly atop it. He knocks twice, waiting for the soft footsteps that approach the door. They come after longer than usual, and as Wesley opens the door, Caden sees immediately that he is distracted. He blinks at Caden, then looks down at the plate. Yes? Caden holds out his creation with a smile. I made these for you. Wesley blinks again, taking a moment to process. For me? Caden nods in affirmation, urging him to try one. Wesley hesitantly takes hold of one of the sticks, pulling the caramel carefully off the plate and examining it, before taking a bite. He immediately scrunches his nose and Caden bursts out laughing. It's an onion, Wesley deadpans, looking over the treat with a vague confusion. After a moment, much to Caden's abject horror, he takes another bite. Silence falls over the two of them. Thank you, Wesley says lightly, before closing the door, leaving a stunned Caden standing there attempting to understand what had just happened. And so there is a truce, for a time, or something that appears to be peace. The two keep to their sides, keep to their routines, keep to the parts of their lives that don't involve one another. Lazy afternoons spill over into sullen evenings, and sunlight drapes itself onto each morning with reckless abandon. Of course, appearances aren't always everything. Shuffling papers is the only sound that can be heard in the sitting room as Wesley sorts through the papers on his coffee table, tidying them up and double-checking that everything is filled out properly before he brings them next door. He has bided his time for long enough, surely. He finds himself trying to ignore the distractions that usually come from the other side of the wall, but realizes after a brief moment that there aren't any. No music playing, or loud singing, or really any sides of life coming from Caden's side of the duplex. Odd. He makes his way cautiously to the door, papers in hand. But before he reaches it, a ring cuts through the quiet air. The door creaks a bit as he opens it. To no one's surprise, Caden stands there awkwardly. To Wesley's surprise... He's holding a bouquet that drips with red and yellow hues, bright even against the saturated outfit the other man is wearing. Before he can get a word in, Caden shoves the flowers into his hands. Wesley blinks, confused when nothing pops out of it. His eyes skim the flowers contained in the collection, red chrysanthemums and yellow lilies, if he remembers correctly. He looks back up at Caden, who is nearly as red as the blooms in his hands. What's this for? Wesley asks, genuinely confused. He continued to examine the stems. Caden is silent for a long moment, apparently waiting for Wesley's full attention once again. When he has it, he huffs. Well, can't a neighbor give his housemate something nice every once in a while? Wesley is thoroughly baffled now. 
It's not that he thinks Caden would never do such a thing as this, quite the opposite. The bright man is kind to most he comes across as far as Wesley can tell. But when it comes to Wesley, he doesn't make a habit of doing something nice unless there's some shenanigan or other involved in the gesture. But when he watches the other man's face carefully, he can see no visible signs of deception. In fact, Caden is watching him with hope brimming in his eyes, and Wesley feels as though he's missing something very important. Do you like them? Caden asks him in a small voice, and Wesley finds immediately that yes, he does. They're arranged very nicely, and the person giving them to him is... Well, there's a lot of sentiment involved in the gesture. Suddenly, Wesley's mind begins to tread down an all-too-familiar path, and as his rival and closest companion stands before him in the doorway, Wesley is overcome with emotion all at once. Documents forgotten in the planked floor of the entryway, Wesley wraps his arms around Caden's shoulders tightly, feeling the other stiffen beneath him. He nearly pulls away, assuming rejection, when he feels Caden return the gesture with nearly as much force. They stand there for a long moment, not entirely sure what to do next, but feeling all too comfortable in the present. And when they finally pull away, Wesley is left comforted by the knowledge that Caden, even with all his intricacies and irritations, will always fit perfectly into the everyday rhythms of his life. Everything is back to the way it should be. Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Chairlike 4.0 International License. Today's House was written by Emily Loris and J.R. Steele, with dialogue editing by Kit Robson, soundscaping by Matthew O'Kay-Smith, music by Alex Schwartz, and art by Claudia Ballard. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.card.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend. Because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend, and who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's day is the day of today. Thanks for listening. Come back soon. Are we more than we are? Welcome to Spirit Box Radio, now hosted by, uh, me, Sam Enfield. I used to be the P.O. Box boy, but since Madame Marie and all her loyal assistants disappeared, I'm the only one left. I'm sure I'll figure it out. I have noticed a couple of things seem a bit off here in the studio, like these augury forecasts which keep appearing out of nowhere, and all these weird messages. And all of these cats keep showing up too. I have no idea where Madame Marie has gone. She'll be back though, I'm sure. It'll all be fine, right? Right. I may not know much about magic, ghosts, or the arcane, but I'm sure we can figure it out together, faithful listeners. Everything will be fine. Tune in to new episodes of Spirit Box Radio every Thursday and learn how there are much worse things than ghosts to be haunted by. Spirit Box Radio is a cosy horror audio drama with themes of grief, love, and identity, with new episodes releasing every week wherever you listen to podcasts. To find transcripts and learn more about the show, visit hangingsawstudios.com forward slash spirit dash box dash radio. Spirit Box Radio is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Tune in, get spooky, 